I invite you now to rise as you are able as we receive our gospel lesson this day. And it comes from the gospel according to St. John. It's found in the 12th chapter and begins on the 12th verse. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This day, of course... The day we call Palm Sunday is the day we come to celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And and that's why we wave these palm branches in great celebration at the beginning of our service today. We celebrate that entry into Jerusalem of Jesus Christ in a way that is intended to help us to remember all these 2,000 years later the significance of those who did the same thing all that time ago. We are blessed this year by the selection of John's Gospel account, which adds a bit more joy to our remembrance on the first, of that first Sunday procession of palms. Usually we hear from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but this year, unusual in that we hear from John. And in, as I discovered, it's the only Gospel which tells us specifically that Jesus was greeted by the waving of palm branches. The other three just simply describe branches. And it's only John's account which makes clear that this grand event happened on a Sunday. The first words I read were the next day. Well, the previous day was Saturday as described. So we know that Palm and Sunday go together in John's account and only in his, and hence we get the name of the celebration that we have this weekend. And this tradition of Palm Sunday has been part of the Christian experience Since that very glorious day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, God's holy city. This year, through our season of Lent, over these past six weeks and some, we have considered Jesus as a person of interest. That was our preaching series. And throughout these messages, we have received in the season that's just concluded, our attention has been turned to the I am statements made by Christ. You might remember just a few of those sayings, ones like, I am the good shepherd, or I am the gate, or the gate to the sheepfold, or I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you may remember others as they've been presented in this place over these past weeks. But to get us started this morning, I'd like us to focus on the beginning of these statements, the words that they all have in common, that I am part. The ancient Jews would have known well about what the great I am was all about. 
They would have remembered that when Moses asked the Lord for his name so he could share it with the people, and he did that at the foot of the burning bush, God told Moses to tell the people that his name is, I am that I am. It was then that the sacred name of God was etched into the minds of the chosen people for all time to this very day. Later, when the great commandments were issued by God through Moses, there was one which required that the Lord's name in English never be taken in vain. Remember that one from Catechism? That is, that, the God, that God's name must never be abused or in any way defiled. And so the ancient Jews, holding that commandment dear, developed an instruction that if a person never said the words, I am, then that person could not have been ever found to have violated the commandment. It was a pretty simple rule to follow, and a safe one. So for generations, the Jews had followed that advice. And then, along came this man we call Jesus of Nazareth. He said that name, the great I am, again and again, time after time. Either he was breaking that long-honored commandment and instruction, thought the Jews, or this Jesus was speaking with the very same voice which had come out of that burning bush so very long before. It had to be one or the other. But that was an issue earlier in Jesus' time when he was teaching and addressing crowds during his ministry. But the question for this morning is, why was this crowd gathered on this particular Sunday to welcome this controversial preacher into their sacred city? Why then, why them, why there? Well, you just got to connect the dots. By issuing those I am statements, Jesus was telling everyone in terms they could understand that he is God. There was to be no mistake about it. But the people looked at him and they saw an ordinary man standing there. And they thought to themselves, who would believe that someone so ordinary in appearance could be the manifestation of God himself? Who indeed? Well, that's one of the purposes of all those miracles that Christ produced. When Jesus was able to heal the sick in the sight of many, or restore the sight and hearing of those who had suffered from the loss of their primary senses, or, or feed thousands of people from a few scraps, those I am statements took on even more significance, for they saw the power of God at work by the man who said, I am. That man, Jesus, also forgave sins. Remember that one? That is something that only God can do. And they knew that well, just as we do in our time. And then, the coup de grace. Shortly before that first Palm Sunday, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. No human power had ever or would ever do that. Jesus did much more, but considering just this short list, those who gathered for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem could connect the dots as easily as we can all these 2,000 years later. So I think, I think that's why we do not 
hear Jesus speak. Because if he had, my mind says he would have issued one more, perhaps final, I am statement on that Palm Sunday. Notice what he doesn't say. He does not say, I am the king. Instead, it's the people who line the streets and crowd around him. They shout in unison, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Why? This just confuses me. Why would these people be happy at the arrival of another king? After all, life was not so sweet under the local petty king named Herod. That man was a despot who made life miserable for everyone. Herod was eh, something of a king, but he answered to a higher authority, one who went by the moniker Caesar, king of kings and lord of lords, as he declared himself. The Roman emperor was sucking the life out of occupied places like the, excuse me, the Holy Land, And he did so with onerous taxes and dictating passivity among the people in order to maintain what was called the Pax Romana, or the peace of Rome. Why would the Israelites want another king like Herod or another Caesar like the one sitting in Rome? Well, I think the existing human monarchs at the time were the answer to my question. For hundreds of years, Israel had anticipated the arrival of their Messiah, their king who had been ordained by God. This Messiah would come with a mighty sword to conquer and throw off all earthly powers. The people of Israel would then be raised up to be a beacon of of virtue and strength to all other peoples of the earth. No other nation would ever threaten them again and blessings of wealth and peace would forever prevail. The poor people of Jerusalem and the cities surrounding area wanted nothing more than for God to send their Messiah to assume his earthly throne. These folks had a real rooting interest in Jesus being the long-awaited king descended from the line of David. Those folks would move when that king arrived from the bottom of the world's power heap all the way to the very top. Why wouldn't they strip palm branches from the trees and line the streets for the coronation procession of their Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth? But then, that doesn't look like the Gospel writer's actual description of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, at least not totally. John tells us, in the one description of Jesus' only action in this passage, that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Period. That's all he said. To this, uh, this was, excuse me, this was to fulfill what a prophet had foretold. But wait a minute. Where is the image of the Messiah riding in on a mighty war horse? Where is that, inevit- or that invincible sword in his hand with which he would slay all oppressors? Why aren't the Romans and their lackeys running away in fear? And where is God's army of angels parading behind Christ in a show of heavenly power? Where is all that stuff? John's Gospel and the other three as well say nothing of any such things. We aren't even told that Jesus' disciples followed him along the entry route. 
All that is shown to us is Jesus seated on a lowly young donkey. And the people? The people who line the street don't seem to notice the disparity between what they expected and what they actually experienced on that first Palm Sunday. Nevertheless, their enthusiasm was tremendous. Their voices were raised to the heavens and their palm branches were waved as symbols of both celebration for what they expected the Messiah to do and in defiance of the worldly powers which would soon be vanquished. Hosanna, they yelled. Hosanna. The Pharisees, Pharisees were there as witnesses to the first Palm Sunday too. They were not celebrating. The principal job of the Jewish leaders at that point in history was, again, to keep the Pax Romana, that that peace that Rome demanded. With all those people in the streets declaring a newly apparent messianic king, surely conflict and violence would follow. This would not make the powers that be in Rome happy, and it would likely result in punishment because of the failure of Jerusalem's religious leaders to control the crowds. The Pharisees saw no way to win back their popularity from Jesus. Another way must be found, they decided, to restore order to Jerusalem's streets and to restore order to their corner of the Roman Empire. The Pharisees and their cronies would find another way to deal with the crowds and that man Jesus. But that's mostly a story for the days ahead this week the portion of Holy Week we observe on Thursday and Friday. For today, let's concentrate on the crowd, the crowd that lined the streets on the original Palm Sunday. We live in the 21st century, so we've already heard the whole story. We, we know what happens a few days after all the folks left that Palm procession. The crowds, again, fill the streets. But this time, instead of yelling their hosannas, Those shouts have been replaced with other shouts. Shouts of crucify him. Why the change? How did did that change come about so suddenly in just the space of a few days? Of course, John doesn't offer us a series of man-in-the-street interviews like our, our news media does today. All we have is the flow of the story that John and the other gospel writers have bequeathed to us. We know that the Pharisees and other Jewish religious leaders were out among the crowd, fanning them into a frenzy to oppose Jesus. But any scout knows that you can't just pile up a few sticks and and wave at them and have a fire ignite. A glowing ember is needed among the fuel and the oxygen in order to produce a flame. So what might that glowing ember have been? Well, again, the folks in the street were expecting a mighty, invincible military and political power to ascend to a throne and solve all of their problems. That anticipated Messiah would even make them all rich and famous. But Jesus brought not a bit of that. He came not on a war horse, but on that lowly donkey and a young one at that. Jesus brought no political power to bear which displaced Rome or even Herod. 
Instead, he allowed himself to be humiliated and subjected to those very same hated powers. It would appear that the power of Rome would squash this man from Nazareth like a bug. And then what? Wouldn't Rome's desire for revenge fall on those very same people in the streets? Wouldn't the Roman legions be marching through those streets of Jerusalem seeking to punish those who dared welcome this so-called Christ? Those people who heard the I Am statements, who witnessed the miracles, who were fed by the thousands, and who were present at the raising of Lazarus, they put all those memories aside. Instead, they feared and were cowed by the powers of the world. When that ember was fanned, it burst into a conflagration. They said, away with this Jesus. Crucify him. One of the best ways to understand scripture has always been to put one's self in the place of the characters as the story plays out. John, the gospel writer, doesn't leave us many character options to grasp the meaning of Palm Sunday. We could imagine ourselves as Jesus... But I think that would be a mistaken approach. None of us are God. We can put ourselves in the place of the Pharisees, but that would put us in direct opposition to our Lord and Savior. Or we can be part of the crowd, the only other option left to us. Brothers and sisters, we don't live in first century Israel, but our lives, even though more modern, are much like those people who lived way back then. There are also powers that be in the world today which insist that the worship of Jesus Christ be kept at a low volume. For that matter, worship of Jesus should be kept out of the streets now, as was the case back then. There are even some church leaders in the world today who work to keep peace with those same powers that be rather than to proclaim Christ loudly and vigorously for all who need to hear. In my opinion, many, even in the church, have given up their principal mission, which is the salvation of souls, and replaced that mission with making nice with our neighbors. In short, we live in a world where many have forgotten who Jesus the Christ really is. We've replaced his true image with someone he is not. Brothers and sisters, remember that Christ rode into Jerusalem humbly. He did so on the colt of a donkey, and he did that for a purpose. That purpose was not earthly conquest. It wasn't even local peace, but it was eternal salvation for all who would believe in him. That truth sends us out into our modern-day streets with a message for all to hear and service to all of those who have a need. But we need to memorize, it needs to be on our lips, that very message. And that message is given to us by the Apostle Paul and read for us by our sister Pam this morning. And it is these words. God gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us live accordingly in our time. 
by boldly proclaiming that Jesus is our Lord and our King, especially when we're out there in the streets. Amen? Amen.